episode 45, Bridging Healthcare Supply and Demand, with Brian Yarnell from Bluestream Health. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. Today, I'm speaking with Brian Yarnell from Bluestream Health. Brian recently sold his first healthcare venture, and now he has moved on to a new one that is called Bluestream Health. The idea behind this new enterprise is to bridge supply with demand. In other words, on one side of the healthcare equation, you've got a home healthcare worker, for example, who is in need of a translator. On the other side of the equation, you've got, say, four translation suppliers, but two of them are completely swamped at the exact present moment. So what Bluestream Health does is it enables when that home health worker presses the button that says, get me a translator now, that request goes into the Bluestream Health hub, which processes it and routes it to one of the two available translation houses. What the system also does is gives lifetime information to the home healthcare worker about what their exact options are. For example, it might say, you've got a one minute wait time to get a, an audio call, but there's a 10 minute wait for a video call. All that information becomes transparent to the person in need of the service at that exact moment. We also get into a sidebar about where, where Brian talks about what it takes to build a company that is ripe for acquisition or maybe built to sell, in the immortal words of John Warlow. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Franklin Healthcom. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You've had an exciting few months. You sold your original company, Starling, and, and you've moved on. That's right. So I guess, I guess you could say it was an exciting few years, but the last few months have been the most exciting. You know, we built up Starling kind of from the ground up and within a course of about 36 months, went from idea to inception to having about half a dozen customers and eventually selling it to Hillrom. I know that that is many healthcare entrepreneur, tech entrepreneurs' dreams to follow in your, your footsteps. What, what was it about Starling or what you built there that made it so attractive to a, a buyer? It's really two things. On the one side, I would say solving a real business problem. You know, a lot of people have this idea of something they want to do better or a really great way to execute. And, and you've really got to get at the basic blocking and tackling of running a business. So looking at how you can actually reduce costs systematically in healthcare is important. So we built a solution that kind of hits on both sides of the fence. Starling was a product that helps patients communicate, so it very much is that touchy-feely, you know, making healthcare better side. But then also I drew on some expertise that I have in terms of BI and operational efficiency across multiple industries to make sure that we are taking those patient requests and trying to resolve them in the most efficient way possible. So number one is really having that solid business case. The other thing that makes a company like Starling attractive is building the technology from day one as though this is going to be a big business. A company like Hillrom gets under the covers and looks at the technology really as a strategic acquisition if that's technology that can be leveraged from day one in a big enterprise like that. 
that would be your advice to either entrepreneurs or, or entrepreneurs currently in the the process of building their dream, if you if you want to put it that way. Or is, yeah, or yeah is, absolutely. You know, I, I've been involved in building enterprise technology platforms for just about 15 years now. And, you know, most entrepreneurs that I talk to have this notion that you can kind of build a proof of concept, get it out there, and then fix all the small problems once you get traction. You know, the reality is, is that's significantly more expensive than doing it right the first time. The tough challenge is, is that you do have to put some thought into it, work with folks that know what they're doing. If that's not you, go get some advice from the outside in terms of building that technology stack appropriately so that it grows with you and with your customers. Very interesting. So the, so the lean startup philosophy is that MVP, minimum viable product. You're sort of not recommending that? I do recommend it, but you've got to have a staged approach, right? So for instance, the product that we're building today, our new venture, the number one thing that we do in terms of minimal viable product is see, can we use this in one or two or three customers and get to that business case? But if you're selling it to healthcare, part of that minimum viable product is having security, scalability, you know, things that when you're building enterprise technology, you tend to take for granted. But if, if all you're doing is building mock-ups or demos, things like that, what's going to happen when you try to deploy is that the IT department or people that understand what they're looking at within the hospital are going to shut the door on you. You've got to spend the time beforehand actually building the technology platform before you get to some of the fun stuff. Sound advice from somebody who obviously knows. Let's follow your trajectory here, my friend. So you, you've sold Starling, and now you are part of Bluestream Health. That is correct. I co-founded Bluestream Health with a business partner of mine who's actually involved in a number of healthcare businesses. And most of the businesses he works in are focused on things like delivery of education and patient engagement across the healthcare continuum. Recently, he acquired a business called DT Interpreting, which is kind of an old school interpreting company that focuses on delivering remote sign language interpretation in hospitals. And we had looked at this asset and said, is there a way that we can take this existing footprint this existing value that they deliver and build something that's much more interesting going forward. And that's where we came up with the idea of Bluestream. Bluestream, as we envisioned it, is a platform that delivers not just things like sign language interpretation or even foreign language interpretation, but all sorts of expertise very fluidly right at the point of care. To give you a real example, if somebody needs foreign language interpretation in a hospital bed today, it's kind of out of the context of care delivery. Somebody wheels in a cart or has a phone that connects back to an interpreter. And what we'd really like to see is that the nurse or the care provider, while they're delivering that expertise, you know, bringing somebody through discharge instructions or education, can right in step with those deliveries, bring up an interface that connects the remote expert to the patient. For foreign language, it's pretty straightforward. As you start getting out of the hospital, to us, it's a little bit more interesting because now you're getting into other expertises like nursing, you know, for instance, if somebody's doing a home care visit. All right, let's bring this down a little bit, maybe to a more concrete level. There is this older company that had interpreters. So they were running around old school, just doing interpreting or sign language interpretation like you'd probably imagine it being done in 1980. Is that correct? Uh, that is correct. So that company is about 15 years old. 
And when I say they're old school, it's primarily the technology platform. 15 years ago, state-of-the-art wasn't all that sophisticated, right? So state-of-the-art in interpreting or remote connectivity were things like conference calls, or they had a dedicated server that routed all these things through a switchboard. Being able to connect a foreign language or a sign language interpreter to a patient dynamically was very difficult. What we're doing is leveraging newer technology to be able to do that in a much more fluid way, almost like a, you know, an online exchange where we identify the demand for these expertise and then act as a clearinghouse to connect them to the appropriate provider of that expertise. What you've done is you've got a base and you've got a base of, of customers because this older company has customers already. Is that, is that the case? That is the case. You know, and anytime you build a technology platform, the biggest challenge that you'll face as an entrepreneur is getting to critical mass, the right number of customers connected to the right number of providers for that resource. So by using this customer base of 200 plus customers that the existing enterprise had, now we've solved that problem of critical mass. You know, from day one when we launch our platform, we've got several hundred thousand minutes per month of demand that's pent up and we can connect it to appropriate providers on the other side. Aha. So this is your master plan. <laughs> you, <laughs> you partner up with a company that already has a sort of a older or less sophisticated, let's just say, technology platform, but they have lots of customers. And then what you and your partner are bringing to the party is, all right, let's ramp this up. Let's level up to, to what is necessary today. That's right. That's right. And, and it makes it a lot easier to have those conversations with potential business partners. Just because my partner and I are smart, nice people doesn't necessarily mean that people want to do business with us. At the end of the day, it's got to be about money. And because we have this other business that we've consumed, we have minutes in terms of these expertise that we can serve out on other people's systems. We've kind of got, if you think of it, you know, the chips to get on the table and actually start playing in the sandbox. Well, I, it's interesting because I was just reading an article today about the major criteria of what makes a successful business. In other words, what are the things that if you look at a business that are the greatest markers of whether that business will be successful or not? And the number one, one, number one success criteria was, does the business have a customer from the very beginning? In other words, businesses that start out with a customer in hand are something like 80% more likely to succeed than those that do not. Yeah, I believe it. And I didn't read that article, but I'll bet that it told you that you know, most businesses fail because they're undercapitalized, right? They run out of money at some point. In healthcare, that's a big concern because you know, at Starling, we had a fantastic product. It still took me 18 months to sign our first contract. And we had the benefit of some funding coming from NIH grants to kind of float us through that period, but most companies don't. So I think that advice is right on that you've got to be selling from day one, potentially even before you have that technology fully built out. Back to Bluestream. You've got this older you know, technology platform, which is designed for sign language. Your thought there is that you can really improve efficiencies, probably create a more stable customer base, because obviously the customers that are currently using this platform might be thinking, hmm, there's probably a better way to do this, as well as grow the existing customer base by being able to more effectively get new customers with new technologies. Was that kind of the plan, the growth plan? That, that I would say is our minimum viable product, to go back to a term that you threw out earlier. Where we really see the growth coming from beyond that base of core customers and expanding a little bit in hospitals 
is two things. Number one, being able to integrate the availability of remote experts like interpreters into additional delivery vehicles. So not just wheeling in a cart or having a better video interface, but actually baking that right into things like education so that more nurses and more care providers have access to the expertise within that same class of care. And then for us, you know, the biggest opportunity really is moving beyond the walls of the hospital. We know that the healthcare system is evolving so that less and less care will be delivered at the hospital bed and more is going to be moving into post-acute ambulatory and home care. And the traditional ways where experts like interpreters connect to folks in those classes of care really don't work in that context. So a big focus of our technology platform is making sure that we have the ability to touch patients through whatever modality makes sense to them in the very light technology platform. Let's scroll five years into the future. Ideal world. You've got a patient, you know, a, a deaf patient, or, you know, you can choose the example of a patient who is in her home and home health care worker visits. What does that look like using your technology? Very good example of that. And, and let's use a, a foreign, you know, a non-English speaker instead of a deaf patient because it's, it's relatively easy to communicate with a deaf patient if you've got the time to sit with them and they're not in a compromised situation. Something that we see a lot, particularly in the New York area, is that you have to approve people for that episode of care in home care. And there's revenue tied to it. So if I'm a home care worker going into somebody's house to approve them for a six-week episode of care, one of the things I need to do is walk through a checklist and help the patient respond to some questions that says, yes, I do need this home care. If the patient speaks Vietnamese, it's very difficult for that home care provider to have that interaction. So what we can do is two things to make that interaction go much more smoothly. Number one, which is kind of the simple answer, is we can give them a checklist, of course. Right? So directly through an iPad or any web browser, we can build a checklist that says, here are the key questions you must answer. At some point, the care provider may need an expert from the outside. And if the patient speaks Vietnamese, that expert's going to be a foreign language interpreter. So I can deliver the questions in Vietnamese when there's a question that the patient has that they don't have that understanding, I can now push a button directly from that questionnaire and instantly bring up a video interface that has a foreign language interpreter that speaks the patient's language. And if there's other things, if I need a physician referral or if I need a family member involved, from that same context of care delivery, I can reach out to those folks. So it's kind of a hybrid system where we're pulling different experts for different reasons into the same interface. And when you say interface, what, what does that look like exactly? It's really configurable. I mean, that's another one of the things that we're trying really hard to do is make sure that our front end is very extensible, meaning it could be extended into other interfaces or built out for custom interactions. So essentially, if you think about what we're delivering on the front end, it's a widget, so to speak, that will let you make a request for expertise. And when you make that request, we consume metadata or anything we know about you. Right? So where you came from, who you are, what language you speak, medical conditions, if we have that. But how you launch that widget really depends on the, the episode of care and the context you're in. It could be as simple as, you know, we're going to build questionnaires for home care workers, and they'll have a button on there to call out an interpreter if they need one. Or it could be as complex as providing patients that are aging at home or in home care situations a full platform to do things like connect with the nurse triage center, order medication. Those are all relatively standard things on a 
portal, but what we're doing is enabling that portal to really connect back to either a first party or third party expert. I'm just trying to wrap my hands around exactly what the product is. So at the end of the day, the product is really a provisioning system, a system that can help patients make a request for a certain set of expertise. Uh, and it's going to be very streamlined. You know, one button within another interface or on its own that says, I need help. And when they push that button or the care provider pushes it on their behalf, what we are really building is a platform that consumes all of these requests in real time, analyzes them, and connects them to the most appropriate care provider. So there are folks, you know, like the existing language services providers that do an excellent job of interpreting languages. Where things fall apart is that very often they do not have access to the customers that need them. So we'll partner with these folks or we'll work with first-party nurse triage centers in the case of home care to make sure that as all the requests for help come through the front end, we can clear them out and identify the right folks on the back end to actually interact with the patients. Um, and once we make that connection, we actually step out of the picture and open up a video interface so they can connect directly. So it's almost, could it be called a really efficient triage system at some level? Yeah, it could be. And, and you know, triage is, is a good way to put it because when we see these requests coming in, we will prioritize things appropriately. You know, if we know folks are in a more acute care situation, we may send them through the interpreter first. But really, if you think about it, it's going to evolve into almost like a marketplace. People are going to have the demand out there. We are going to have the ability to give people, not just organizations, but individuals eventually, the ability to fulfill that demand with their expertise. There are groups that do interpreting and have large bodies of interpreters. There's also individuals that may be qualified medically to do it. Uh, we can give these people all access to customers at any class of care that they want. What you're trying to do is create more of a, a, a frictionless link between supply and demand. In other words, I'm a ho home healthcare worker. I, I'm in someone's home, and all of a sudden I realize I need X. I need a Vietnamese interpreter, for example. What I do is I get into your platform, and based on what you're saying, if the workflow that I have always used at this particular care facility is, or, you know, in this particular integrated delivery network is, you know, an iPad, then your system is able to work on an iPad, for example. So I go into my iPad, I say, I need a Vietnamese translator. And then what your system does is it, you know, there's all kinds of clanging around in the background, but at the end of the day, what it's doing is routing me to an available Vietnamese translator, wherever that person might be. Absolutely. You know, it sounds simple, but there's a lot of, a lot of heavy lifting that goes on in the background to do that very seamlessly, very quickly, and balance the demands, right? There, you know, just in the existing legacy business we acquired, we're looking at over 100,000 minutes of interpreting per month, um, and certainly we intend to grow from there. You know, it sounds simple connecting a patient to an interpreter, but, but really you're looking at scaling to the point where you have millions of these requests a month being cleared out automatically. And I suppose what will, it's almost like a sophisticated call center in, in, in a way, in the sense that the first request for a Vietnamese translator goes to the first Vietnamese translator. But then if one comes in two minutes later, obviously the first Vietnamese translator is occupied. So it's going to need to go to another one. That's right. And that's some of the complexity 
in terms of this service we're building is that it needs real-time awareness of the entire ecosystem. So if you think about all the kind of tentacles we're going to have out there across the internet, um, we need to, in a very real sense, understand what every person touching the system is doing in real time. So it is a lot of technology in terms of figuring out who to send those requests to. We talked about the the front end uh, of this operation. What about the back end? I mean, in the translator example, do you have a set of preferred translators that you're using that have been aligned in some sort of sequential order so that and do they need to be outfitted with a certain technology? Yes and no. We're building interfaces specifically for interpreters or translators, and we are partnering with organizations right now that employ large numbers of these folks. That said, there's also interpreting or other service organizations that have taken the step to enable their own systems to be driven by an API or a, a computer interface. So in those cases, we can actually integrate with them and leverage their existing system. You know, my guess is that most people haven't gone that far down the road. And what we'll do is we'll offer them kind of a turnkey solution. If you told me that you've got 300 people that want to do Spanish language interpretation, I would give you a website. All these folks can log in and we will start running that call center automatically. What's really interesting is when you start looking at the idea that we will have multiple call centers, right? So that, you know, your 300 person call center, one of these big language services provider, and then potentially most interestingly, you know, organizations that have their own first-party call center. So, for instance, if you have a large group of patients that are in home care, you might have your own first-party nurse triage call center. You know, some of the complexity is the fact that we're not operating just one call center. We're interacting with other people's call centers, operating some of our own call centers, and then giving you the levers as a customer to pull to make sure that these calls are routed to your own call center wherever possible. Do you envision one of the values that you would bring to your customers is these, if you will, backup call centers? So in other words, say I'm an institution, I have a preferred translating vendor, but every so often that service is completely overwhelmed. They're swamped with calls and they just cannot handle anybody else. You need a you know a safety valve. That would be something that Bluestream could provide. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it'll be transparent to the user. So as an administrator at a customer, you know, you'll give us parameters. You might say, hey, I'm happy to pay up to X number of dollars a minute to do interpreting, but all these requests should go to my own cheaper call center first. And as soon as there's overflow, then you start sending it out to third parties. So in a way, I'm not sure if this is part of your business model, but it almost sounds like some sort of um, group purchasing organization in some ways. That, that you've got a set of your own vendors which could be tapped into that could you know, supplement the contracted vendors that any particular institution is using. Which yeah, absolutely. En- well, that, when what that enables you guys to do is to, uh, you know, similarly to a group purchasing organization, they have customers and then they have, you know, they have t- customers coming from two directions. You know, they have customers who need the services, but then their customers are also the suppliers that have those. What a group purchasing organization does is sort of sit in the middle and make those connections. That's right. And, and I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't say that we aim to be a purchasing organization per se, more like a facilitator. You know, if you think about it, what we're really doing is making kind of a democratized marketplace. We will let anybody who wants to get on the platform within reason on the platform, 
but the marketplace will decide whether the services they provide are appropriate at the right price. You know, and, and frankly, we think it's going to be good for everybody. You know, even the incumbent providers are going to have access to a much broader client base than they had before. So you're not necessarily screening the suppliers that are sitting on the back end that would be still up to the IDN. In other words, you would say, okay, we got 10 providers that are already, that provide the service that are already on our platform. They're already being used. Here's the contact numbers for each of them. You can decide which ones you want to, you know, use or deploy. So what we wouldn't do is introduce them to a provider. Basically, we have a middle layer that automatically connects them to a provider and a customer would have the option to set criteria in terms of which types of providers they connect to. So they can certainly specifically say, I only want this provider or these two providers. But more realistically, what's going to happen is they're going to say, I only want to be connected to providers that have documentation in place to say they're medically certified and deliver on a certain standard of care. And, you know, there's not that many of them, right? There's a handful of language services providers in the country that do an excellent job of providing that service already. And if we're working with a hospital that says we only want to work with people that are willing to accept the liability and do a great job in terms of providing language services in a certified healthcare environment, well, you know, then we know that it's only going to, you know, X number of providers that are in the system. If somebody eventually uses this to teach high school French for some reason, we don't need that level of certification and oversight. What would happen then at a at ground level is that Back to the same example. Um, uh, I need a Vietnamese translator. I type in, I need a Vietnamese translator. Just so happens that the first level contracted Vietnamese translation service, they are totally booked up at this exact moment. So then what the system would do is say, okay, this hospital has put in, or this you know provider has put in criteria that they're only going to work with translators with this level of, of certification and in this price point or something. Then a bunch of clicking occurs and your system realizes that there is these this translator that's available that meets all those criteria. And then the call gets rooted over to that individual or, you know, that individual um, supplier. That's right. And, you know, the one other piece that we provide are realistic estimates of how long the wait time is, right? Because everybody wants a video call just much nicer. But in the example you provided, if we were to look out across our network of providers and see that, you know, maybe there's a 10-minute wait for a video call, but there's a one-minute wait for a voice-only call, we can make that recommendation proactively to the user as well. And all that would appear within the interface that the person in the home is, is looking at. So it would say, all right, here's your four options that you've got. That's right. Times. Wow. So... It's interesting. I'm almost picturing your system as kind of this, maybe, you know, you had used the word tentacles before, and I'm kind of picturing it almost like an octopus where you've got this hub in the min in the middle, but then you've got tentacles that go out in two directions that go out from the back end to reach a bunch of suppliers, but then go out in, in the front end to reach a number of different people with a need. Is that how you you see it? We, we absolutely do. We don't necessarily want to be in the business of providing the expertise, you know, whether it's interpreting, nursing, other classes of, of care delivery. Where we'd much rather be is, is doing what we do well, which is providing a, a really good technology platform. And what we think we can do that's really unique is exactly what you described. You know, there's, there's people with a lot of different needs on the front end, 
that are in a lot of different care delivery modalities, and they need a lot of access to folks on the back end that don't necessarily have the ability to connect with them. So for us, it, it very much is that kind of hub and spoke model. But you're right, there is a, a clear delineation between who I would call you know, suppliers and consumers in that model. You used a word which I had never heard before, but I, I think I might be intrigued by it, and that's extensible. Yes. Extensibility is a technical term that refers to when you build a software platform, the ability of that to, number one, grow so I can add new and different features to it, and number two, be connected to other people that have new and different features. Right? So it comes down to the idea of filling white space easily. You know, sometimes you want to fill it yourself. Sometimes you want to partner with other folks out there. In either case, you need to build your platform from day one so that you have those kind of sockets that you can plug other things into. You know, it, it's very important, you know, getting back to my earlier point in terms of building the software from day one where it's you know, enterprise commercial grade, that's a big consideration because it's very expensive if a customer says to you, you know, I, I love your platform, but I need you to add a button or it's not going to work for me. If you haven't thought about how you can adapt interfaces or partner with other folks that can do those things easily, you, know, you wind up in a situation where you're doing a lot of one-offs. And really where you want to be is one version of the code serving every single customer. It's the most efficient way to run a business. And I'm sure you've seen it. When you get salespeople that go out there and make promises that you've got to deliver on, you've got to be able to do it cost-effectively. So extensibility is building out a platform that can grow on its own if you want to add features and functions or grow with partners if they've got features and functions that help you fill white space. So is it kind of a way to facilitate interoperability? Is this kind of the te technical back backbone that of what it takes to say that your system is interoperable? Absolutely, yes. Ah, got it. So my friends, given that you have some uh, experience or some street cred at this juncture predicting what is going to be a thing in the future. If you were going to play futurist, what, what do you think the trend is going to be with the biggest impact on healthcare delivery today? In other words, if you were an entrepreneur or a provider, what would you be placing bets on right now? You know, the biggest thing I would look at is how care is going to transition out of hospitals and into other venues. You know, I, I was speaking with some folks, uh, if you guys don't know, Hillrom is a major producer of hospital beds. If you look at how many beds are being purchased or consumed, I think over time you're going to see fewer and fewer hospitals that are the traditional model. You know, hospitals are going to become a place you go if you have something unexpected happen, like you're in a car accident or very acutely ill. For everything else, you're going to see care transition out to things like ambulatory care centers or ambulatory surgery centers, home care, more of the post-acute rehab as opposed to keeping someone in a hospital room. Um, and the reason comes down to cost, really. Keeping somebody in a hospital room versus sending someone to a post-acute rehab center. Uh, first of all, the post-acute rehab center is usually much more pleasant, but it's also orders of magnitude less expensive because they do not need to be equipped for somebody coming in with a gunshot wound or having a heart attack. So, you know, by default, all of the services are operating at a lower cost basis. You know, if I were building a new technology company or a different new technology company, I would really be thinking about how can you facilitate that transition of care out of the hospital and into lower cost care delivery venues like the home or like the subacute space. Getting my notepad out, I'm jotting a note. <laughs> If people are interested in learning more about Bluestream Health, where, where can they go for this info? 
right now, or maybe by the time this goes live, we'll have the website up and running. But right now, we're in stealth mode a little bit. So the best bet would be to reach out to me directly. And my email address is bjarnell at bluestreamhealth.com. That's B-Y-A-R-N-E-L-L at bluestreamhealth.com. Thank you so much for being on the program today, Ryan. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Links to everything discussed during the episode today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. I'll tell you the other thing that you will find at RelentlessHealthValue.com, and that is a way to subscribe to the show. If you subscribe, the cool thing is that you don't have to remember to go to the website every week to download the new episode. It will automatically be sent to you in one of two ways. The first way is you can type in your email address in the, there's a, a sidebar on the right hand side of the website where you will find a place that you could type in your email address and then you will get an email once a week with a, a link to download the episode. So that's one way to go. The second is is also in that same right-hand sidebar on the Relentless Health Value website, you will find a large orange dot. If you click on that dot, then you'll get taken to a place where you can click on the subscribe button in iTunes. If you click on that, then each week your iTunes will automatically download the episode, which you could choose to listen to on your computer or on the podcast app on your mobile phone. If you enjoyed this episode, please, I beg you, uh, it would be really, really helpful if you would rate and review the show either on iTunes or interact with us on Twitter. Our uh, Twitter handle is Relentless with only one S, health. So Relentless with only one S, health. I would love to hear from you. We would find it very inspiring over here at the Relentless Health Value podcast. I thank you so much for tuning in and so much for spending the time with us. 